Welcome to a Veterans Day episode of Backlash Podcast. Our guest today is going to be Chris Pia, who is with Lunge and Lures. He's also a veteran himself, and he's going to kind of go into his story a little bit, and we'll talk about that. And he's got some changes coming up. But until then, we got Brad Hoppy co-host today. Carrie's off hunting, which is good for Carrie because she deserves some time off. I know we all deserve some time off. I was taking a little bit of it myself this past weekend. It was kind of nice. I got to go fishing with two of my kids. Got to do a little camping actually up at our camper. We had it closed up for the year, and then uh, now it's back. It was back open for the weekend, so uh, it was very different because it's uh, well, it's November, <laughs> so. So, Brad, how are how are things going over there with you? I know last episode we had a very short turnaround, so I didn't, you know, there wasn't much to talk about in the intro. And this one, I don't know, it's been two weeks roughly or whatever since we recorded a podcast. For anybody that cares, it's it's Sunday night. It's Wednesday in your world, but it's Sunday night, and it uh, is November 8th. So we fresh off a weekend where we hit temperatures in the 70s or roughly up in the north woods. And I think, Brad, you had much of the same. Yeah, hands down, Jeff. I, we had a great two year or two week uh, winter, and now it's spring again. So we, it's quite bizarre. This is uh, not quite what I was expecting. Although the last couple two three years, we have had that really cold October, and it's right back into decent weather again in November. So not necessarily great for catching fish the way it seems, but uh, hey, it's super nice to be outside. That's for sure. I 100% agree. It wasn't very nice for us catching fish. For I'll, I'll tell a little bit of more of the story later on in this podcast when we get Chris on, but for anybody that cares or right now, I got to tell you though, Brad, I did have one of probably my favorite fishing trips I had all year this weekend. I didn't catch much. We didn't, we didn't really catch much, but it wasn't a pound them, pound them type of a deal. Yesterday we went out for five hours today. I think we got out for six hours we watched a couple movies when we got back because there was nothing to do with the camper. I mean, it's dark at 5.30, and they, by then the kids had enough, you know. So we uh, we went back, and we get, picked up some dinner from a, one of the local taverns up there, and we took it back to the camper, and, and we hung out, me and my son and my daughter, watching movies. And then we started a third one last night, but I think all of us fell asleep. So this morning when we woke up, we were planning on hitting the water a little earlier, and they're, Dad, can we finish that movie? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it, whatever. I don't care. It's your weekend, you know. So... We did that, and then we hit the water for about six hours today. And wind was blowing, weather was nice, uh, the fishing was not, but we caught a couple pike, and they were both happy. And I was, like I said, it was probably my best trip I had all year. I mean, I it was low pressure and just about hanging out with my kids. Okay, the family time is important too, Jeff, and that that's awesome to hear. And I know the way it sounds from the little bit that we talked about it. Those kids were pretty fired up too, and they had a blast. So. Hey, sometimes that's what it's all about, right? Absolutely. And, you know, though, one thing I tell you, I mean, here we are at the end of a season and I'm just, you know, you get caught up in things during the course of the season and life and busy. And this year, obviously, there was umpteen other distractions that you're worried about and everything that goes on. There's times, though, that you sit back and you think and you're like, man, I should do this stuff more often. You know, I mean, it's really that it's really more important than a lot of the other bull crap that we get, that we deal with. And uh, I, I sometimes kick myself when we get to the end of these types of seasons, thinking to myself, all right, so the next time we jump in the boat, my, my one daughter is going to be 15. You know, my son's going to be 10. I mean, assuming that we don't get out yet this fall, but those are, that's what we're dealing with, you know? And so I just start thinking about, you think almost about lost time, you know, how much time you spend doing all the other things that 
that you do, you know? So it's just those types of things. One thing I did think about though, in amongst lost time was, you know, with no shows this year, or at least for the, you know, beginning of the year, I think it's, I'm actually looking forward to maybe getting out and, and ice fishing with my, with my kids. I think they could have a potentially a really good time doing that too, you know? Oh, hands down. I mean, that's something I, I <laughs> I'm probably not the one to talk to about this. I bought a, uh, a nice little portable three years ago and it's been sitting on the shelf in my garage since then. I have not used it one time. And more, I guess the biggest reason for that is some of the snowfalls that we've had over the past couple winters. And uh, it just didn't allow it to happen. And of course, the, the winter time, I know it sounds dumb, but it's a busy time for us and, and with show season. And then on top of that, some of the box store orders and things like that. So, you know, it, it's hard to manage your time for the family side when you're running your own business. But uh, we always make it happen. That's what uh, Mika and I did today. Basically, uh, we decided not to fish today. We fished yesterday together with uh, Duff and his son, Roman, and that was fun and got out do some trolling. And we did have a rip, but uh, we never put anything in the boat yesterday, but we had a blast. Came home, ordered some pizzas, and played cards. So sounds like we kind of had the same type of weekend. Yeah. Well, you know, this time of year, things start to calm down a little bit, so you can kind of get in those you can kind of afford to take that time. And that's the stuff I wish maybe I need to be more cognizant of as we move forward about taking that time, regardless of whether I can or I should or do whatever, or I need to get this done or I need to get that done or however you want to talk about it, you know, because really, I mean, the kids, the time with the kids just flies by and I, I'm blown away. I mean, I remember my daughter, I think I might've talked about it on a past episode of the podcast. I was looking back at an old YouTube video that she dug up and it was her jigging and she's so little. And I'm like that video, I can remember shooting the video. It was like yesterday. And so now I just, you know, you sometimes I would say you have regrets, but you do have regrets a little bit. Well, Jeff, I, I don't think that's unlike any of probably our listeners as well. You know, time does fly by and, and we get hung up on little things whether it be work or whatever it might be, but Hey, you got to take the time, make the time and get out there and enjoy the outdoors with your family. I think that's a, a huge part to this whole thing. Absolutely. So speaking of things that take up a bunch of my time, here's me talking about how I liked having the time to go hang out with my kids. But then this is me on the other side going like, Oh, shows are canceled. I got a chance to build, build and make more content. So for people that haven't found out about it yet, I have another podcast. Nothing's happening with Backlash Podcast as evidenced by this this show. This is still going to go on a weekly deal. Now, I'm doing a little solo project talking to basically manufacturers, and we've got two episodes out. You can check it out on all the places that you'd find this podcast. It's called Team Rhino Outdoors Musky Fishing Podcast or Musky Podcast. I don't know, either one. And so, like I said, we got two episodes up. We talk to manufacturers, get a little bit of history on the company, talk about one specific bait, what its uses are, what they designed it for, you know, functionality, different tweaks that you can make to it, certain things like that. And so coming up for, and so this is a Monday release is what this podcast is going to be. And it's going to be an every other week deal. So coming up, you know, a couple days after you hear this one, this is a Wednesday. So coming up on the following Monday, we actually have Carrie on talking about the cowgirl, which I'm, I didn't let Brad in on. I didn't let Brad get involved in it. And I said, nope, the, the people want Carrie as a solo podcast and she did a great job. So we'll have that one out here in a few days. 
So for anybody that hasn't checked out my new podcast, check out Team Rhino Outdoors Musky Podcast. Like I said, it's on all these same places. And I'm certain that shortly I will be hearing from Brad because Musky Mayhem has a variety of products. And much like I said, we only want to talk about one per episode. These are short form podcasts. We're talking, you know, 20 minutes. Maybe the first two episodes were about a half an hour. I think the carry episode is going to be roughly 20 minutes. So, but Brad, I'm definitely going to have you on. We got a new bait to talk about. And we're going to talk about that on that podcast as well as this podcast. And we're going to probably have to talk about the trigger and what makes the trigger special too on that podcast as well. Well, hands down, Jeff. I mean, I'm looking forward to joining you on that as well. It'll be fun. But uh, did, is that a bi-weekly or is that a weekly? For now, I'm going to just try to do it bi-weekly. You know, through this winter, I might do it a little more often, but I'm, I don't want to commit because if I make a commitment to it, I want to be able to stick with my commitment. And I don't know that, you know, with everything going on, if it's anything like this year for, for 2021, I just don't think I can commit to a weekly deal, even on a short form podcast that we're talking about. I mean, like I said, episodes could range from five minutes to 25 minutes or half an hour, depending upon how the guest is or how interactive the guest isn't, you know, so you might see that. The one thing I do like about the podcast though, is like sometimes on this podcast, it's a lot of regional stuff. You know, if you're in the, you know, the Midwest type of stuff, whereas there, these baits aren't necessarily regional. I mean, how they, how the people built these baits and did everything with their baits, it's not regional. So yeah, there's, there's that to it. And like I said, we're going to try to dive into a, a whole variety of different manufacturers. I have some cooler guests lined up and talk about XYZ bait and what, what they did to design it and why they did it and all that stuff. So it should be cool. And that's like I said, I'm looking forward to talking to Brad several times. Cause like I said, they have a pile of products from musky mayhem tackle that, that we can certainly talk about. Good stuff. Another podcast for all the musky nuts that are out there. Mondays, you said? Yep. Monday releases is what we're doing on it. And like I said, episode three is going to be Carrie. We talked to Brad Rue already about a bulldog and we talked to Roger Waters about a barbarian. And so we, like I said, we're just kind of talking about one, one bait per episode. And for anybody that wants to check it out, I mean, if you found this podcast, wherever you listen to it, to this podcast right now, you can find that one. I think it's in all the exact same things. Oddly enough, like Apple approved it literally within one hour or one day, which I found to be kind of odd because it took them about, I don't know, a week to, to apply or to get this podcast rolling. So I don't know what the deal was. Maybe it's because I already had an account or who knows what it was, but it's rolling on iTunes. It's rolling on Google Play. It's rolling on Podbean, Spotify, uh, TuneIn Radio. Like I said, all the places you can find this one, unless you listen on iHeartRadio, it's not there yet, but hopefully soon. Awesome, Jeff. So... With uh, with that being said, that was a nice long little intro because we haven't talked in a while. A little bit of news there. That was one one of our our special announcements. Brad and I are still working on details for another one. I don't want to say special announcements, but like just different stuff we're trying here with podcasts and whatever. But um, so we'll have that coming up. But for today, we're going to talk to Chris Pia. So I think we should dial up Chris and see what he's got to say. Let's do it, Jeff. All right, welcome to our Veterans Day episode. I'm sure it might not be Veterans Day when you're listening to this, but this episode's coming out on Veterans Day, so we decided to contact our resident veteran, Chris Pia from Lungeon Lures. People, if people want Chris's background on, you know, where he started and whatever, I think it was I want to say it was roughly episode 17. But for this particular episode, Chris, why don't you talk a little bit about your service and then we can talk a little bit about, you know, upcoming news for you because Things are going to change for you in the next six months, I believe. 
Well, thanks for having me on, Jeff, and uh, welcome to Brad, too, who's on the line. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, give a big shout-out to all of our vets that are listening today. You know, this day is about, about you and your service, and and I, I appreciate everything you've done for our country. I think um, it's been interesting watching the news lately, but at the end of the day, uh, we have a great nation, and that nation is made great because of many, many people who have come before this that have raised their right hand and sworn to defend the Constitution of the United States, right? That's what it's all about. I've seen some statistics that roughly, I think right now, I think the number's right around 1% of the population, the U.S. population, has served in the military service. So I know there's quite a few vets that must be fished, but hopefully any of them that are listening, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you did, especially to some of the older veterans that paved the way for the way we're treated now because it, it, it's much different in these times than it was during like the Vietnam era. Right. So we have to look back into our history and, and look at where we came from. So I'm very grateful to be serving, you know, in this day and age. And I think there's a lot of support for us out there. So uh, my military background, I, I came in the air force in 2003. I joined as a E nothing. I was basically an airman basic in the United States air force. I started my first two years as a crew chief on C-5 aircraft at Travis Air Force Base. I spent about two years out there uh, learning that aircraft and, and the behemoth that it is. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the, the C-5, it's the largest aircraft in the U.S. Air, air Force's inventory. You can put about six Greyhound buses on it. It's a monster. It was designed in the 70s, so everything was over-engineered. And it is a maintenance guy's, uh, how do I put this? It's awesome, but it's also like your worst enemy because you just you just work. You could work endlessly on that aircraft, and sometimes it feels like you don't make much progress. But uh, for me, coming into the service, I think it was a great first aircraft to start off on. And after about two years of that, I uh, I got a short notice call that that I was going to be headed out the door for for about six months to Baghdad, Iraq. And I spent I spent six months out there from uh, August two thousand five. To January 2006, and that it was challenging. Uh, but looking back, it was probably the greatest thing that that I ever did in my life. It, it gave me a lot of perspective. I, I didn't necessarily appreciate the things that I do now uh, back then. So, um, yeah, it was tough. It was cool. It was awesome. It was it was great to see things, you know, in full swing. It it, it was definitely dynamic back then. But um, yeah, very grateful and humble for that opportunity. And then when I came back to Travis Air Force Base, we actually stood up a new C-17 squadron and we were getting brand new planes from the Boeing plant. And I went over there as initial cadre and, and stood up that squadron and then became a, a flying crew chief on those aircraft. And that was awesome. That was a, like my last year in the Air Force was, was really cool. I got an opportunity to basically jump on a C-17 aircraft and fly with it all over the world. I mean, my job was just to keep it in the air. Uh, it was a small crew of you know, pilots and loadmasters, and then usually one flying crew chief. And, and it was really rewarding because you, you get to see your hard work, like, instantaneously. Kind of like, you know, sometimes in musky fishing, you know, when you, like, nug out for a while, and at the end of the day, you, you put a fish in the net, very similar. It's like, hey, you work your butt off to keep the, air, the, the aircraft in the air, and then you, you go down range. And a lot of what I did when I was flying was, was fly medevac missions. So we would we fly all the way to, you know, Iraq and pick up, you know, sailors, soldiers, 
airmen and Marines that have been wounded in combat and then, you know, either take them back to Walter Reed or Brooks Medical Center. So, um, very rewarding and humbling mission. And it, it was cool to see our, our Air Force's mission, like firsthand, like in the flesh, like that, that I still look back on those moments and, and anytime I'm like kind of nugging out or, you know, not really feeling fulfilled. I, I look back at those moments and I'm like, yeah, there's, regardless of what I'm doing right now in some way or shape or form, this is what it's supporting, you know? So I did, I did that. And then I, I kind of made the decision that, that I wanted, I wanted to become an officer. To be honest, my, my dream was always to become a pilot. I took like, I don't know, maybe a dozen hours of flying lessons at our aero club when I was at Travis. And I enjoyed flying, but I didn't necessarily love it. So when I got out in 2007, I went to SIU Carbondale and that's kind of how the whole luncheon thing got started. But, you know, I, I left with the intentions of coming back into the air force as a pilot, but when given the opportunity to do so, I, I chose to come back into aircraft maintenance and I, I have never regretted that decision since I made it uh, the, for those, for those listeners that, that don't really know about the, about the air force, I'd say that the largest, uh, the largest core of enlisted personnel in the air force happened to fall within aircraft maintenance. So, there's about 332,000 people in the Air Force. The split is roughly 70-30 between officers and enlisted. And the largest enlisted career fields in the Air Force fall underneath aircraft maintenance. So they give me an opportunity to lead early. And, and that's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted, I wanted to have the opportunity to give back because I knew the difference that like one leader or one officer can make in, in someone's life. And, and I was fortunate enough to have a few leaders that, that made a difference in my life. And I just wanted to give back. So uh, since I came back in the air force, I've been an aircraft maintenance officer. I've worked at Travis air force base, McGuire air force base. And, and now here at joint base, Pearl Harbor Hickam in a variety of capacities, working C5, C17, KC10, spent a couple of years in the logistics career field where I was working some aerial port operations. And then, I uh, spent a year in supply, and, and now I, I work on the, uh, the PACAF headquarters staff supporting all of the aircraft in the Indo-PACOM theater. So that's, that's a little bit about my, about my service. So typically I'd say that uh, Chris is hanging out in sunny, sunny Hawaii while we all freeze, but the only thing about that right now is it's sunny. Like none of us are freezing over here. It's been ridiculously warm. So at this point, I guess I'm, I'm not jealous at you, of you at this point. So, um, Chris, I know, I know we have some notes that we want to get to, but, and I want to dig into that, but let's talk about where you are now versus where you're going to be moving to. And then we'll kind of talk about, um, what you're doing there as far as future homework, I guess I would say in your move. So why don't you talk about now, but let's talk, and then let's talk about, you know, six from six months from now, or I think it's roughly in there. Where, where are you going after you're done here in Hawaii? Yeah, my wife and I were selected um, for intermediate developmental education in residence. It's, it's kind of like an officer thing that some officers get a chance to go in residence. And there's a program at the United States Air Force Academy where the first year we're there, we're going to attend the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and, and get our second master's degrees in leadership and counseling in the following two years, I'll actually be serving as a commander along with my wife at the United States Air Force Academy. So I am absolutely thrilled for the opportunity to head out there. I mean, this is, this is right up my alley as far as leadership and, and you know, that, 
personal interaction with, with, with troops that kind of keeps me going. So I, I'm really stoked about it. But the other piece of it is, is there's tigers out there. And so I, I've been, I've been doing my, my homework to figure out, you know, Hey, like what type of waters they have, where must be stocked, how have they been stocking them? And so this, this kind of is the same thing that I did when I found out that I was headed from California to New Jersey. I'd kind of heard rumors that were, that there were muskies out that way, but I didn't really know for sure. And then kind of like the initial things that I'll do, and this can help anybody that's listening, you know, if they get a chance to move or they're going somewhere new. One of the first things that I'll take a look at is, is historical stocking reports. Cause that'll usually give me a decent indication of, of, how many muskies have been put in a particular part, you know, water and at what rate they've been stocking them. And sometimes the DNR will even go as far as to saying what length of muskies that they're stocking. And so I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to kind of watch and, and have some data points on that. So like the, the bigger muskies obviously have a much better survival rating, the, the 11 inches, the 10 inches, as opposed to the fingerlings. So you just kind of sit back and watch, you know, and, and kind of take a look like, okay, historically that they put this many in this lake, they're, they're basically guesstimating this many uh, per acre, which, which is kind of important. So I kind of know like right off the bat, like where I'm going to get the best bang for my buck, right? Cause I've never, I've never fished in Colorado. I, I, I think I've been there a couple of times, but I, they're maybe just traveling through nothing, nothing serious. So it's like, I, I got to get on that internet hard and try to figure out where I need to spend my time. So that was like the first, you know, part of the research. The second part of it is, is reaching out to friends, family, extended musty network and kind of picking their brain. Right. So I've, I've caught tigers when I was in New Jersey before, but I never have specifically targeted them. So there's a lot of people that, I've been on this podcast or other podcasts that, that have a lot of experience with chasing tigers. So I kind of look to them to say, okay, what type of techniques, tactics, and procedures are they using to get after, you know, these fish and, and how does that fit with my fishing style? And what are some areas that I think that maybe haven't been exploited yet, right? Some, some things I've done in other areas of the country that may be productive or some things I need to think through. I mean, I, I think you notice I, I, I put in a rather large order to you uh, a couple weeks ago as I was, you know, kind of prepping myself for, for the tiger transition. But uh, those are, that's usually kind of how I start to do my initial analysis of the waters before I get out there. Does that, does that kind of make sense, Jeff? Or do you want to, you want to dive into a little bit more detail there? Well, I think that certainly makes sense. Cause then I'm assuming what you do then is if you, once you narrow down these lakes, then you're probably going to go get yourself a lake map. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So that, that's, that's actually um, a point that I forgot. I spent a lot of time before I got out to New Jersey, you know, like this is the initial stage since I still have about six months, I'm still in like the gathering info. And then when I move into, in my mind, what I would consider like more of the execution stage, yeah, I start looking at lake maps. I start, I start looking at water temperatures i start looking you know at catch reports i mean facebook for is good to get a good indication of of when people are traditionally catching fish like and when it's the dead sea so uh, and those are some of the conversations i've had with fellow anglers as well as like you know what are the what are the water temperatures traditionally at what time of the year do you find yourself 
catching the most fish, you know, and it's from what I gather with the Utah, Colorado and, and Washington fisheries is, is it's more of a, a, a late, like mid to late summer bite. And it doesn't necessarily go as far into the fall as you would see in the Midwest. So that, that's one challenge that I'm kind of already looking at is saying, okay, I have a smaller window to get after these fish, or if I'm going to stay out there later in the fall, I'm going to have to adjust tactics because people catch them, but they don't catch them as much uh, in a later fall, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. makes sense. There's, there's a second component that maybe we're leaving out of this as well, and that is being an owner of Lungeon. How is that going to affect the business side too with your move? I mean, I, I realize you're running a company from a distance already. Um, you got to kind of be excited to be stateside again, don't you? Yes. I, I think execution wise, fundamentally, fundamentally, nothing is going to change. Matt and I have got a system and it's been in place since the day we brought Lunge and Lures. Now, when it comes to like organic, you know, content, whether it be for social media or for guiding our, our, our products, you know, it's, it's difficult to test baits out here. Like, like that's one thing. Like when I first moved out here, like no joke, there was one time when I was testing the 22 long, I don't know if I told this on a previous podcast or what, but I was standing on a sandbar in the middle of the ocean, twirling around like a, like, like a little girl trying to figure out if, if, if we had gotten the bait right. But that's just what I was forced to do. I mean, I had experience with it before moving out here, but I, that's where I was at. So Matt and I were collaborating that way, as opposed to being able to buy a boat and get on the water and see yourself. So, um, from a product development standpoint, I think it's a huge advantage. I think from a marketing standpoint, it's, it's, it's a huge advantage. And then just the proximity to, to Matt is going to help. I mean, I love spending time with him. I mean, he, he's family. And so, you know, our kids, you know, he's got a new baby and our, our kids haven't met yet. So I'm looking forward to, to spending some more time with the family on the water because I think that's what we all enjoy. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a lot, a lot better if we're slamming muskies and grabbing the net, but it's always good to spend time with family on the water. So Chris, when did you join the military and when did you end up in Hawaii and how did that mix with uh, the purchase of Lunging? Cause I don't remember exactly what year. Yeah, so I came in the military originally in 2003. So I was I was basically enlisted from 2003 to 2007. I separated in 2007 and went to Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. That's where I met Matt, and that's where I built a relationship with Chad Kane. I came back into the Air Force as an officer in 2010, and I want to say it was maybe 2012-ish is when Chad reached out to me and said that he he was thinking about selling the company and that if I wanted to buy some baits to let him know then. And so it was, I think 2013 was the first full year that Matt and I had Lungeon. So I was in California at the time at Travis Air Force Base. I left Travis in 15, went to McGuire, Joint Base McGuire, Fort Dix, Lakehurst, which is in New Jersey from 15 to 17. And I've been out here ever since. I think that's kind of funny. He went to buy a couple, or uh, Chad tells him, hey, you might want to buy a couple baits. And then Chris ends up buying the whole company. Kind of reminds me of like <laughs> me with the whole Squircle brand. I got a Squircle in my logo. So rather than change the logo to get rid of the Squircle in case of, 
you know, if, if it got in the hands of somebody that I didn't want to represent, instead I just buy the whole company. That's it's kind of along that logic, which seems completely absurd. <laughs> we are sick, sick individuals, Jeff. I, I still remember the initial conversation I had with my wife and, and the look on her face. Um, if I could have taken a picture of it, I would have. I would have loved to look back on it. Yeah, my wife's about the same way. At least, although surprisingly, I mean, she was, but at the same point, she was like overwhelmingly supportive. So that seems kind of strange too. I would have. I don't know that I would have been just as supportive as she was. No, I think I think we're lucky. I think between Mel and Carrie, we we married way out of our league. But yeah, Carrie jumped on board, and she's actually a pretty dang good fisherman too. She's She's really good at bass fishing, and, and she's caught a few muskies here and there. I think her biggest is a 47, and that was fun. So I'm guessing then if out there in Colorado, she'll probably be able to jump back in the boat and actually chase these things down again because I'm assuming, based off of what I know, when you're in Hawaii, you're only making your one trip back per year to go to Canada with your dad, and obviously this year that didn't happen. So there's probably been no, yeah. no musky fishing for you for like a year and a half at least right now, I'm thinking. Yeah, thanks for the reminder, Jeff, as if I didn't cry myself to sleep enough every night that I don't get a chance to musky fish. But <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right, go ahead and just keep pouring that salt in the wound. Well, that's all right. It's not all, like, as, as much as I like it, if you were to sit out a year, for me personally, this would have been the year that you would have sat out. It hasn't been that great. I've been able to scratch out some fish. It's been okay, but it hasn't been outstanding by any means in my opinion but that's just me i know i I know other guys that have had really good years so but a a bunch of guys i know that haven't well i i think that would have been my first refuge is the water i mean when this whole thing hit i mean i know like for us we went into like i don't know it's all a blur five different lockdowns teleworking schedules that have rotated 15 times but we had a lot of time off and i certainly wouldn't have had spent it the way that i did this time I would have been on the water a lot more. Well, I think that was the refuge for most of the listeners. I'm, I'm assuming based off of, you know, fishing lure, outdoor equipment sales from what I, I mean, we talked about it on past podcasts, how, how ridiculous uh, sales have been with most all outdoor equipment, including musky fishing. It's been, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it, Chris, obviously you've, I'm sure in certain segments you have seen certain segments of your, um, of your business, Less may, maybe because you'd see less walk-in traffic to some of those smaller mom and bait, bait uh, mom, mom and pop bait shop type places versus you know. But the online guys have probably made up that gap. I'm assuming. I would say initially, yeah, a lot of the small retailers, and I'm sure Brad can speak to this too. That that it felt like that they kind of took a hit, but as things loosened up and people got in, you know, got used to social distancing and how to play this whole COVID game. That, that they started to pick right back up and, and we've had a great year and it's good to see that, that people are finding, you know, some peace on the water, you know, in crazy times, like it's, it's a great, it's a great opportunity to go blow off steam in, in, in the outdoors, you know, I mean, because to be quite honest, you don't really have to worry about as much when you're out there. And, and that's why I like the fish too. I mean, you, you just got to worry about, you know, getting your boat on the water and, and, and getting out there. Yeah, it's definitely easy to kind of, you know, get stuck in a rut, if you will. And sometimes when you're on the water, it, it is. It's definitely refreshing, clears your head. There's a lot of good things about being on the water besides catching fish. So definitely something to think about. And I think one of the neat things this year, 
with kind of the lack of sports and everything else that was going on and people went to the water they they did water sports they went fishing it's pretty cool to see for the industry yeah i agree now let's just hope that we can retain a lot of those people that got out for their for you know in renewed their passion or whatever for the outdoors if they had kind of gotten lost along the way i'm hoping that we can you know keep them in in you know in the industry not in the industry but continue on the water you know get out fishing and hopefully that's that's not just like a one-year wonder for them so chris i know in our talks we've mentioned a lot of parallels with the service and musky fishing can you expand on that for our listeners yeah i'd be happy to i mean one thing that, that i've realized since i've been in the, the military family is is our values right and and, and i and i see those i see those attributes in musky fishermen I, I see so many parallels that that, that bring the two communities together uh, in the military, I mean, we, we, we value character, hard work, dedication, perseverance, resiliency, and, and all of those things translate well into muskie fishing. In order to be a successful muskie fisherman, you have to have that core foundation, right? You have to have those pillars in, in, in a foundation uh, that, that's based on hard work and grit to make you successful on the water because it, it's just it's not an easy sport. It, it is not, we're not out there crappie fishing. We're not out there, you know, bluegill fishing or even bass fishing. Cause, and I could knock it because I spent a lot of years doing it, but it is a challenging and difficult sport. Often they, they, you'll go, you know, maybe two or three trips without any reward. And, and I, in, in the military, it's a lot of the same, you know, there's a lot of people that, that are doing God's work that don't get the opportunity to see, the final impact of their contributions, but they continue to do it day in and day out because they know that eventually it'll pay off. Right. And so that, that's one thing that, that I've been, I've been very grateful uh, in my opportunity to serve and spend time in, in, in the musky community is to just look at the people and talk to the people and see so many similarities between the two. Uh, it, it's awesome. There, there's there's so much that goes hand in hand with either that I've I've really enjoyed, and I think that's why I think that's why I fit well into the musky community. I think that's why I could communicate well with with musky fishermen, and, and I could communicate well with military members is because we we all came from we all come from the same cut, right? And I would I would even go as far to say that the, the people that are on the industry side of it are are, are from the same cut as well because. Not only are they, you know, musky fishing, but they've leveraged additional responsibilities on them in pursuit of their passion and other people's passion. So, you know, Brad and you, you know, you guys, believe it or not, you, you guys share a lot of similar values to, to, to people in the military. And, and I don't think it's said often enough. You know, I, I just, I think it's important for our, for our listeners that, that are out there to understand that uh, what they're doing, is, it, you know, is noble. You know, it is, it is not an easy sport, you know, and it is challenging and it is tiring. It is mind, you know, your mind will hurt at the end of the day if you're doing it right. And, you know, that, that's, that's a, it's a noble, it's a noble sport. You know, it's something that we can, we could put our hats on and say, yeah, we're musky fishermen. And, and that means something, you know, cause when you, when you interact with people, you know, they're like, Oh, do you fish? I'm like, yeah, well, what do you fish for? And my favorite response is, whatever is biting it. And that's usually the point that I realized that we're not going to continue this conversation, but you know, for the, for the few that go, 
you know, as far as say is, you know, I chase bass or walleye or, or crappie or whatever. And every once in a while you hear someone that chase, you'll hear them say, I chase musky. Then, you know, like you just know instantly that that person has got something, right? That they're not just a run of the mill outdoorsman, but the, these people are dedicated to, to, to get out there and, and chase a fish that is not easy to catch. So, so those are just a few, few of the parallels. Yeah, one of the neat things about that, though, Chris, is, you know, you can think about it. I, I seen a meme one time where there's a bluegill and it says the gateway drug. And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, as a youth, you start fishing bluegills or, or bass or maybe northern pike, whatever it might be. And as you grow and you're fishing, some people decide, hey, I'm going to branch out and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But at the end of the day, I think there's a little bit of truth in that whole gateway drug side of the bluegill taking you to the muskie and um it's not for everybody and i think uh, people should be really proud if they are muskie fishermen even if it takes 30 days to get that first fish or whatever it might be but that challenge is what um it's that's what the real deal is really about figuring out all of this and that's the fun part about muskies in my opinion yeah i would agree i you know to be honest when i when i moved to southern illinois uh, before I took a trip like in the fall with my dad when I was scoping out colleges and we, we beat up a bunch of fish. I want to say we had like a six fish weekend that I was like, Oh man, it's going to be awesome. The fish are going to be jumping in the boat. But I got humbled really quickly. I think honestly, I spent like 30 days on Kincaid before I caught my first muskie by myself, but I kept going, you know, and I kept going and I kept trying and I kept, you know, adjusting. And I think that that's what, that's what keeps us coming back. But I also see, like, that's what I'm saying. I also see those attributes, those values in the military where those, you know, whether guys, girls, whatever, that, that work as hard as they can to, to produce something or, or, or provide a capability that you, you have to work 30 days or 45 days before you actually see it come full circle. I would agree with that, Chris. And I, you know, it's really interesting for me. I have some really close friends that are vets, um, spent much time, some in Afghanistan, some in Iraq. Um, and so I have a pretty good understanding and, you know, the family core value, I would say kind of goes along with that military background as well. And a lot of these friends have become family, but, um, it's neat to see them because they're musky fishermen as well. And I, I kind of correlate that back to, like, say, the Wounded Warrior Project that, that several people do throughout the whole muskie industry. And the neat thing about that is you're kind of bringing that military group back to muskie fishing as well. And some of them haven't even fished any other species before. But that inner drive, that person that you're talking about, all of a sudden, if they're shown that experience, guess what? They, they can find a new love. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, the one thing we were talked about, the new people entering the sport this year, the people that came back into the sport this year, this is the one thing I hope they don't get frustrated and discouraged after one, one season. Maybe they had a bad season or whatever, and and they want to give up on it. But it's not easy. I mean, you see all the pictures on social media nowadays, and you assume that everybody catches one every single time out, and that's that's not the case. I mean, you could take my season, for example. I'm pretty been pretty open about it. It hasn't been that great. I mean, I've spent less time on the water than I typically would, but I've still spent enough time on the water to have a decent season and it doesn't always happen. You know, I had a trip this past weekend with my two kids and you know, we, we didn't, I wouldn't say we pounded the water hard. That wasn't exactly it, but I had my two, I had two 
I had my oldest son and my oldest daughter with me, so pounding the water hard wasn't exactly in the plans necessarily. It was more or less just to get away with them and get on the water, and that was kind of the whole deal. But at the same time, I wanted to, I wanted to put a muskie in the boat, and it just didn't happen. Weather, weather-wise, didn't cooperate or whatever you want to say. I mean, we've talked about it before. I don't like warm-ups in the fall. But, you know, I mean, for me in particular, like I said, the season hasn't been that great. But you, it's one of those things you, you got to grind through. And you'll have those seasons when you start to put it all together. You know, you'll have those seasons that are, you know, we'll call them magical, where every decision that you make is the right decision. And you're out on the water, and you, you just put muskies in the boat almost at will. I've had those seasons like you're let's just say you're casting and like, oh do I cast that weed better do I cast this one so you pick the one you know you make your choice and you you catch a muskie on that one or you say do we go inside or do we fish outside and you go inside and you catch a muskie you know you have those those seasons like that and so I just hope that people can push through those types of seasons and you know and and continue on with the sport because it's that that perseverance that drive that uh that passion, everything for it that continues to put you out there. So I'm hoping that people don't get discouraged after a tough season if this was their first entry into muskie fishing. I'll, I'll be honest as well. You know, the, I had a great season up until about, oh, the third week in October when we got slammed with snow. And don't get me wrong, I've pulled some fish since then. But, man, the last three weeks have just been really, really tough. And it seems like I've gone days without bites. So, you know, it, but the thing is, is that I keep thinking, all right, it's going to happen at some point and you have to keep driving forward or you're not going to catch anything. And, you know, the old saying, can't catch them on the couch. So when, when things are tough like that, a lot of times you're just waiting because you're, you're like expecting this new window. But I will also agree with you in the sense, Jeff, you know, this, this crazy warm up that we just had this past week and looks like it's going to kind of somewhat cool down this coming week, but not real drastically. I mean, not, well, we're not going to be in the seventies, but you know, mid forties. So for this time of the year, I'd say that's pretty decent. Um, we had a water temp change of four degrees over the last three days. I mean, think about that. We went from 39 and now I just seen it touched on 44. So pretty wild for this time of the season. Yep. Same kind of deal. It was nice. My, my daughter came out, my son came out. I mean, they didn't, have to bundle up in any gear we all wore tennis shoes i didn't you know i wore a sweatshirt it was comfortable and nice on the water so it's really great for that but uh it was neat to see my kids they wanted to keep grinding in a sense you know my one son yesterday he was a little antsy in the boat and i was like oh boy this is why i wanted to kind of split it up into not too long of a day because he's never really been in the boat with me for too long my other my daughter has alexis has but not my son austin and you know at the end of the day today he's like dad i really want to catch a muskie do we have to go and i'm like well i got to do a podcast tonight and we got other things to do and we got some orders to get done and you guys need to get your you know ready for school for the next day and he's like oh i just want to really catch one you know so uh hopefully that's it'll it'll spring something in him and he'll be you know anxious to get back out with me potentially this this year yet i mean if we have a nicer day i know some of the stuff i fished through much like you said brad and we had that terrible cold front i thought we were going to be locked up with ice by now already be done and i know in some places it sounds like maybe they were already but i'm assuming a lot of that stuff opened up but i'm hoping that he you know that maybe there's a chance we can get out yet this season but at least he's got that passion it seems like where he really wants to get out and catch a muskie but so it was cool to to get him out there my one daughter's like well dad 
I sh- if I would have known, we could have just taken my stuff up north, my school stuff. I could have done my Zoom classes on Monday instead of going to in-person classes. And we could have, I could have just trolled. And if we caught one, I could have just, you know, went, went and did caught the fish and then went, went back to my Zoom class in between. So that's kind of interesting to, to listen to that story on the way home. That's super cool, Jeff, because I think a lot of times ending on a note like that where there's still positive in the boat, I think definitely kind of creates a hunger as well. So, I, you know, yeah, you didn't get a muskie, but they did catch some pike. And guess what? You ended on a note where they were still hungry to keep going. So I think that's a positive. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Jeff, real quick, I want to, I want to circle back on, on one of the things you mentioned, and I think it's imperative for the listeners to kind of grasp this, at least from my perspective. If you catch a muskie, it is a success. I think Facebook, social media, the boards have kind of ruined that for our industry in some sense. Like, like if you go out and you put a fish in the net, like that is the success. I don't care if it's a 30 incher or a 55, like you have accomplished something. So I, I think we've got kind of get inundated with big fish photos and, and how fast news travels. But, you know, it's important to understand that, that just, Putting one in the net is is, is, is a check mark. Like you, you've done something, you've accomplished something, and, and nothing should be taken away from that. And then the other thing that, that since Brad's on, I know he, he's a serious fisherman. I know, Jeff, you get out when you can. But one of the things that I've always noticed in the fall is when we see these these, these rollers, right, so where you'll, you'll see the water temperature starting to decline, that's usually for me when I, I saw the most fish activity. And then if you get like kind of a late uh, fall warm-up, it just dies. I mean, the bite is almost non-existent. So that was like one thing, I mean, for our listeners that are, are still out there hammering away, like you're not alone. I've been there before. And I know Brad, you were talking a little bit about that, but you, you want to expand on those fall warmups and how difficult they can be sometimes. Yeah. It's so amazing, Chris. I mean, I have seen like a quick little warm up where you get a two or three day time frame where maybe the temp goes up one or two degrees, but that's generally in October. Once you start seeing those water temps falling as fast as we've seen them this year, it makes it tough. I think it cooled down way too quick this year. Um, even talking to different people that are running suckers, they're struggling. And, you know, if, if you're using live bait and the fish are there, they're seeing the fish. I mean, they're just not really going at it. You know what I mean? Now, on the other hand of all of this, there are there's some been there has been some giant fish being caught. So, you know, it, it's still about putting your time in. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean, when we have this type of warm up in the month of November, man, it just shuts things down a little bit. So, hey, the good news is we all know it's going to cool back down. So. We should see a pretty good bite window here in the next couple of weeks, I would assume. Well, the other positive, Brad, is the fact that we're still going to be out there fishing. You know, I mean, we thought podcast few back, you know, a few weeks back or whatever that we'd be done by now. So, I mean, that's another pot. I mean, if we're just looking at positive, we're still on open water, and there's still a shot for us to catch muskies. So that's a positive for me. Oh, hands down. I mean, I it's it's pretty remarkable i i really wasn't that worried but you know a lot of the bodies of water that i fish on are deeper bodies of water and and they'll maintain pretty pretty decent temps and it's kind of a slow process especially when we've cooled down to 39 already it seems like cooler water takes longer to freeze where when you have warmer water and you have that giant plunge it it seems like it freezes quicker it's kind of interesting but 
you know, the biggest concern is, is accesses and making sure you can get out there even when the water is open. You know, the, the accesses will start freezing and if they're shallow, you know, a lot of the bodies of water I fish are shallow access areas and you got to drive a hundred yards to get out on the main water. That becomes an issue too. And then, you know, you're, you're carrying a shovel, you're carrying salt and sand in the trucks to make sure that the access, you can get the boat back out after you're done. I think we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then it's about chisels and whatever else, because uh, I run a fiberglass boat, and the last thing I really want to do is be banging that through a bunch of ice. So it makes it adventurous, put it that way. All right, well, let's have a, ourselves a little bit of a roundtable discussion here. I mean, as as people know, there's it's not a secret by now. There's at least the first couple of shows are canceled. It's, I guess I would say, 50-50 whether the other ones are going to cancel. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on for this for this year. You guys have any new baits we're talking about releasing? Um, anything else that the listeners can look forward to? I know Brad, we got a little bit of feedback from some of them. It sounds like um, like a mixed bag of people want YouTube content and they want uh, Facebook Live stuff to talk about new products. You want guys want to talk a little bit about anything going on this winter? Brad, you want to get started? I sure can, Chris. Um, so for ourselves, we kind of did a mid-year introduction, and I don't remember exactly, Jeff, maybe you can help me on that. I believe it was like mid-August we came out with the new trigger. Correct. And uh, that was a, a really cool time frame, and I, I'm happy we did it at that time of the year. A lot of times that mid-season release of a bait can kind of help drive some of the traffic at the shows as well. Obviously, we're not having the shows, uh, at least Chicago and Milwaukee. Um, so I don't know how that's going to affect things, but definitely had an upswing with that and it was really cool seeing how many different customers were sending pictures back with uh, fish catches on that bait so on the second part of this we have a second bait that we're going to be releasing and right now we're still kind of waiting on some extra parts for this but it's been something that we've played with for quite a while and i am super super excited to get this one in people's hands because it reminds me of the, the initial days of the cowgirl. And what I mean by that is these fish are inhaling this bait. And it, it's been really, truly cool. And to feed back to some of the uh, questions that have been out there, we are planning on doing a bunch of YouTube videos this winter. And uh, actually last week I sent off all the footage to my editor and he's gonna start working on that. So things are going that direction. And then on top of it, I think we're going to try to do some Facebook Live stuff as well. But uh, I'm not really sure how we're going to release the second bait this year because there is no shows. So I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm actually kind of lost with it. And as the season's closed, I think it's kind of tough to, to release something, especially if I don't have another outlet. I'm, I'm looking for ideas. If either Jeff or Chris, you have any good ideas on that, um, I'm all ears. Well, I think I would release yeah. it exclusively to TRO for like the first. I knew he was coming. I don't know, like the first couple months. First couple months, at least. I would Here say. we go. <laughs> oh boy. Well, Jeff, I, Somehow, I, I, I appreciate. I appreciate you tons, Jeff. But uh, <laughs> you know, we uh, we try to be fair with that with all the different stores that we work with. So that's always a challenge though. That's for sure. You know, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're gearing up right now. We're waiting on the extra parts. So when it does happen, if it explodes, 
we can uh, maintain good delivery. Well, that's all right. I'll wait for the email from Kerry to go out to the dealers and I'll be like the first one on the email. So it's, it's no problem. That's all right. But I mean, if you're looking for my (laughs) suggestions, I'm going to say it's a TRO exclusive release for at least I would say two months. It seems fair. I think. (laughs) Uh, I like the way you think. (laughs) All right. Well, Chris, let's talk about, you now. Yeah, no, I just, back to Brad, I, think, I I heard some good things about the trigger. It's funny, it's like, you know, anytime you're in the industry, people, you know, they're like, hey, are you guys doing anything similar? I'm like, no, go buy it from Brad. I've heard, I heard they're catching fish, so go to his website or go to some of the other retailers and pick them up. But um, no, I think, you know, to be honest, I, I've been planning for the show if not to happen for over four months. I don't know, like in the military, that's just kind of how we roll, man. We've got... We call them COAs, course of action. COA 1, COA 2, COA 3 that's in the hip pocket, ready to go. So, um, you know, Matt and I had kind of talked through it. I, I think he was a little bit more optimistic than I was. I kind of planned for the worst and hope for the best. But, um, no, I, I think we're, what we're leaning towards is, you know, we're going to drive some stuff. You know, our website has always been a, a great place for people to go and, and buy products if they, if they don't have a chance to make it to a retailer. But uh, we still did colors this year. I, I still did did some awesome colors, you know, for show colors. And I think, you know, we've got some, some good feedback from people that have already used them. And and I think that we're gonna we're gonna throw them up on the web page, and, and we're gonna do some stuff on the web. I'm not really quite ready to talk about yet, but um, yeah, I think that, that if, if folks want to go to our web page, you know, during during lo- during show season, they will be they will be happy. We're gonna take care of them, you know, because one of the things we love to do is interact with our customers and, and get, you know, talk stories and all that. And that's one thing that we're going to miss this year, but I want to make sure, and, and Matt wants to make sure that, that the product's available to them, you know, at whatever variations or colors that they're looking for. So we got show colors this year, but in addition, we've, we've kind of been cooking on something for a while too. And, and the one thing that was challenging for me this year, Brad, was I, I like traditionally how I work through some of our, our baits and I'll just kind of, let a little bit of the cat out of the bag, especially with, with hard bases, we'll work it with wood first. Right. And we'll tweak it. We'll mess with it. We'll send it back to the garage, you know, 90 times over before we, we feel like we get it right. And then lunging, you know, traditionally what we'll do is, I mean, we have some wood base, but if we're going to mass produce it, we will, we'll run an ABS mold. And that just wasn't feasible this year. The, the logistics chain that I work with and, and COVID implications just wouldn't allow it. So, Matt and I were sitting there scratching our heads. They're like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit on this thing for a year or are we going to get it out there? And, and so I, I think we, we've kind of made the determination that we're, we're going to push it. This, this first year, we're going to, we're going to release a bait that's, it's going to be pure wood. And, uh, you know, this, this year coming up, we're going to get it molded. But in the meantime, it, it, it has to get out to people because the folks that have been using it, it it's stupid. It, 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 it's remind, it, it reminds me of the 22 short, to be honest with you. Like just one of those baits that you put in the water and things start happening, uh, whether you're casting or trolling. And so we're, we're super excited. I think I'm hoping to have it lined up with probably January timeframe where we'll start to have some. We'll, we'll go ahead and put it on the webpage. And I've already talked to a few retailers like Jeff, who's, who's already, you know, expressed an interest in carrying you know said product but um yeah it's been fun it's just been a challenging year it's like how do we how do we do this thing now you know what what does it mean for the shows in the future um you know are the shows going to be bigger next year or the shows going to be smaller next year 
I, I don't have the answers to that question, but I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit on my heels and just watch the show season go by. I think, I think everyone gets excited in the winter. They're, you know, sharpening the hooks. They're going through their gear. They're cleaning everything up. They're tearing line off their reels. You know, that's, that's usually when I do all that stuff is in the winter months. But I also think it's an opportunity for, for us as retailers to, uh, you know, make a connection with a customer. So I, I, I definitely want to capitalize on that opportunity and, and make sure that customers know that, that we're thinking about them and, and, and we're working for them. That's a super valid point, Chris. I mean, that is one of the things that I love the most about the shows is the interaction with the customer and meeting new people. And not only that, but I mean, you know, over the period of years that Carrie and I have done this, uh, we've just developed relationships with a ton of our customers. And and that's the one time a lot of times that we get to see them throughout the year. But uh, no different than you, you know, you have a bait like you're talking about that you're going to be introducing it's always exciting. You know, you want to get it in the consumer's hands because the next thing you know, you start getting pictures in return and there's nothing better. And I, I don't even know how to explain it. I guess it, it really means a lot. You know, you're, you're in the shop and you're just beating the crap out of things, trying to get things out the door. And all of a sudden I get, Hey, Carrie, will yell at me. Hey, Brad, come take a look at this fish. Come take a look at this fish. And it is so cool to see those emails. So Truly appreciate all of our customers. I know you guys both do as well. And uh, I think that's the worst part of this whole show season, not being around. I can't argue with you one bit. Like there's just certain people that I'm used to seeing at the shows. I have their names and their heads in my, you know, they're like, they're, it's very visual. I know who they are, who I can expect to see, who we can talk to. And yeah, we're not going to have that same interaction this year. So Hopefully we'll figure out a different way to have some interaction. And if somebody wants to tell me a fish story, send me an email. You know, I'm more than I'm more than willing to reply to your emails. If you got fish pictures that you caught fish this year, you know, send them to me. We can take a look at them. I won't share them with anybody if you don't want me to share them with other people. I always, if somebody sends me a picture, I always make sure that I say, hey, is this okay to share or whatever. And if somebody says no, I completely understand because there's certain pictures that I wouldn't necessarily want shared either. So, but yeah, it's going to be a different in. I don't want to say difficult off season. It's difficult from the fact that aside from the setup days and the teardown and worrying about what the weather is, I really do enjoy the show part of it. I don't like the prep work that goes up to it. It's a lot of work, but I really do. Once we're all set up there and you can see the booth and how, how, I mean, I think I'd like to think that our booth looks pretty good and you look back at it and you go, wow, that looks sweet. And then unfortunately, like two days later, you just tear it all down but you get to talk to a bunch of people and like, I love hearing the stories last year. I loved hearing people say, Hey, I love the podcast. I love this about it. Can you do this? You want to talk to this guy or whatever? So, you know, we still welcome that those, those comments too. Also, I mean, shoot us an email, let us know. We can try to do the best we can. And I'd say like bridge the gap between this off season and the new season coming up. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about parallels earlier in the podcast about, you know, the military life and, and, and the fishing industry or and just fishing in general. And and for me, you know, as a leader and an officer, the preponderance of the work that I do, you know, forces me to be glued to my computer and or my phone. And some of the most rewarding times for me as an officer is getting to break away from that, going out onto the flight line, going down into you know, you know, that supply depot or going out to the, an aircraft and loading an airplane and, and spending time with, with the people I work for, you know, that's, that's what I live for. And to be honest with you, it, it often comes at my own time, meaning like 
I've got to, I've got to keep the man happy with, with the administrative side and all that stuff that comes with it. But what fuels me up as a person is that personal interaction. And so that, that, that's what's difficult this year, you know, like, like both Brad and you mentioned is, is not being able to, to hear those stories because like, like, you know, like, you know, he said, you know, his wife would yell at him and, you know, Hey, come look at this picture. I'm the same way. I mean, that's, that's what keeps me going. I mean, a lot of what we do is monotonous. It's boring. It's tedious. It's, it's tough work, but you know, those little glimpses of, of success, you know, or stories from other people, that, that's the fuel for my fire. That's what keeps me going. And so I, I, necess- I don't think I've mentally prepared for that yet. So I, I will jump right on board and, and say, you know, Matt and I are, would love to hear from customers. We love hearing from customers because that's what keeps us going. So Chris, I just want to thank you for coming out. I want to personally thank you for everything that you've done for your, for your country. I want to thank all the other veterans for everything they've done for all the things that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis. It couldn't be done without them. And so we thank you for that. I know Brad wants to say a couple words himself. Yeah, hands down, Jeff. I mean, you you covered it right there. I mean, I I can't explain my um, my gratitude to towards all the vets that are out there, and definitely want to say a, a huge shout out to all the vets that have uh, done what they've done to support this country, and and that's uh, personal right to you too as well, Chris. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. I I I've said this a number of times, but I, I absolutely love what I do. I'm I'm in my dream job, and and so is my wife. I mean, it's it's not an easy life, but we absolutely uh, enjoy our, our our work every every day. I mean, in fact, she's on the road right now. I'm doing the the single parent game. You know, she's she's out on the road for the next fifty days or so. So that that that's you know that that could be challenging, but you know what, this is what we signed up for. Right. And, uh, I just once again, want to thank, you know, all of our veterans that are listening, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you did. I know your sacrifice and our country is better for it. So thank you. Uh, just one last plug, uh, Matt and I are, we, we don't run many sales often, but veterans say is one that we always do. So that, that one's kind of keen on, you know, kind of a keen deal for me. And so if, if any of the listeners want to go to our website, www.lungeandlers.com, on the 10th, 11th, and the 12th, we'll be running a sale for 15% off. You don't have to be a veteran to get this sale. It just go ahead and type in vets in the discount block, and you'll get 15% off. So that's just our, our, our small way of saying, hey, we appreciate you, and, and we appreciate all the support that, that the whole you know, industry and, and, and our country has, has shown for our, our veterans over the, over the last few decades. Well, Chris, once again, we just want to thank you for your time. Thanks for coming out. Hopefully somebody, uh, some of the listeners go over to Lunge and Lures and take advantage of that sale. Uh, VET is the code, so check it out. And thanks again, Chris. We appreciate it. Brad, and we'll catch you next week. And thanks again for all your listeners, for all your support of Backlash Podcast this year.